so I just like to test that we are working, and yes, we are. So what has been the general theme of your podcast? I see you did some unboxing. Yeah, I had Colin Nathan. He's a good buddy of mine, mm-hmm. a trainer up in Joburg. He trains Hickey Budler and uh, Maruti Mtlalani. Mtlalani. <laughs> My mouth is Langtrak. Give me that beer. There we go. Shot. Yeah, so he was in here. And we're just talking shit about like pretty much 2017's boxing. Really. Yeah, I it's thought you were going to do like a roundup of what's happening this year and stuff. Nah, it was very informal. Like shit that we, we, we phone each other regularly, mm-hmm. like good couple times a month, sometimes a week. And it's, we just talk boxing, dude. Yeah. How's the family? Cool, cool. <laughs> and he asked me what I think of this and I asked him what do you think of this and so we always like fucking we riff on each other on the yeah. phone and then just to get him here I was like we just went it's and talked face good, to face it was a good rad. way for you to get your finger on like the button whatever's happening in Joburg and stuff yeah well not as though it's not hard to find information of what's going on in it's Joburg because there's not a lot <laughs> no there's the, boxing there? no boxing there's a lot dude okay. Joburg I, I think the whole scene is starting to change positively for boxing for once whether or not BSA are going to... We're seeing it. Like, oh, I'm seeing it like just from looking at the social media and stuff like that. It's like, definitely there's a lot more. There's plenty shows around. Cool. Joburg's got the most amount of promoters. They've got like a good five who get TV time. Okay. Obviously, Golden Gloves gets the most. Is there a specific reason why it's coming back now? It feels like, like in the last six months even, like it's just popped. Yeah, I think that there's a lot of worldwide attention on boxing. That I think has been with Floyd Mayweather yeah. and, you know, the whole uh, Mayweather-McGregor thing, Canelo, that. Triple G. These guys are all becoming really well-known in this yeah. country. And, I mean, even if you do MMA, you know you who know Triple G are, is. Course, course. You know who Canelo is. You yeah. know who any other boxer, the, like the main stars are. Um, and I think it's, it's brought to the public's attention. So yeah. they're coming down to watch fights now. I mean, well, look, you can say that. Yeah, I'm thinking, like, I wonder what, what people actually think of, like, the local scene compared to when they see the stuff on TV. I think Cape Town Boxing's picking up big style. I'm yeah. I'm working with one promoter who's doing development shows and uh, mainly for centered around his son. Um, so it's... Uh, oh, God, I'm blanking on names now. Jeez, this is terrible. Is it the dude that gets carried in on the... On the chariot, yeah. yeah. Um, okay, what's his name? Damn. Emil Calacuza. Yeah, 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 sorry, Calacuza. So, be doing his shows. I've done about three for them, okay. or two for them last year, and those are getting very doing popular. What, commentating? Or? No, ring announcing. Okay. They do like a six or seven bout pro card, okay. and then his son is always the one. Emil Calacuza is the one who headlines it. Was oh, that that one? I don't think you were there in Carlitza last year. Yeah, I, I wouldn't cool have one. been in one of those. Yeah. But, uh, I mean, I'd go there if I was announcing it, but yeah. I probably didn't do that. I did, definitely didn't do that show. No, you so. didn't. I started doing the ones that they're doing based in town. And, dude, we're getting like... At that Hope Street. Hope Street's packed. Yeah. 350 people in there. That's cool. I've never been inside for a boxing event, but I like the building and stuff. So I've been there when they have the market. And no, it's always really cool. sold out when they do boxing mm. there. Always. Um, and is I mean, that, Is that where Nick was? Nick was... No. No, Nick was on the Calicota promotions. His was the one that was initially supposed to be on and it moved. Uh, APFC. Yeah. Yeah, 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 APFC were putting it together, and some promotional issue bombed out. BSA. It was crazy. Spat downhill, and like the, the show day before. Got, I remember you also put out something like, "How can they do this? It's to, ridiculous." There's absolutely no rational reason for them to have done that. Yeah. Then just because one person upstairs, they had beef with a local promoter. It's so funny sitting like outside, like literally outside the country watching this stuff and seeing like what's going on. And then people are like, you know, you're trying to read 
based on people's like social media posts, what's actually happening? It's so freaky. Well, dude, I was working. <laughs> I was supposed to be the announcer for that event. I was working closely with Mikey. Yeah, Mike was. Like, and Mikey was telling me exactly what the state of play was the whole time, and it was absolutely above board. Yeah. And one person upstairs decided, "Fuck you, Cape Town, and fuck you, Duma in particular." And there were two events like on. And then they at ripped the same it, time basically. Right? And they ripped it twenty four hours before. That's mad. And there was money paid over, large amounts of money, which I don't know Mike, if Mike has got back yet. He paid to BSA. Well, yeah, you got to pay sanction yeah, fees. You gotta, <laughs> they, they need their fucking slice of the pie to supply these uh, officials ringside. Yeah, it sounds ridiculous, like how you can just get away with it, because I never heard anything about it after that. Well, I don't Not know. that I was investigating it, but you know, like... No, I'm very, I'm very in deep with what's going on in local boxing, and, and there's shit going on at BSA at the moment that I'm been particularly worried about for years yeah and it's 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 out of control i remember when you first changed your facebook name that was like one of the reasons <laughs> and they were like who is no, this guy no. <laughs> shit no that was like then you saw always like you know like poke at these little things the guys that do like well it's not shit. it's not so much poking it's telling the fucking yeah, yeah, truth yeah. exactly and then you get people who I feel like like everyone's trying to like you know kiss no, ass to like that. the bsa guys and doesn't get anything done i don't kiss people's asses i don't yeah. have to it's not in my interest to kiss anyone's ass. <laughs> and you know, the thing is, is that what I do on a professional level is what I do on a professional level. Yeah, what sure. I say in my own private time, fuck you if you've got a problem with yeah, it. Yeah, for sure. But I'm never <laughs> ever going to fucking say something that I don't want, that I think is out of line. Yeah. I pick the truth. Yeah, exactly. And I say it and it goes, and then it turns into a fight, you know. Heads like, explode because yeah, yeah, they yeah. can't handle being called out for yeah, something exactly. real. And then they're always like, they, they seem to be like cronies, like they'll and back themselves up like they'll yeah. tag some other guy what do you think of this and I'm yeah. like oh gosh here we go and then you got half a job popcorn you know you got popcorn time and sitting there <laughs> <laughs> yes popcorn time <laughs> give me beer is that popcorn the one you're using yeah, yeah popcorn time but I'm just saying popcorn time like time to yeah. bring out the popcorn and watch these guys oh, like, I thought you meant the streaming service of yeah, movies that I, I used that too <laughs> <laughs> sorry what are we in Thailand yeah. sorry uh, the legal streaming service that we use <laughs> popcorn time fuck yeah. yeah that and putt locker as well as a goodie <laughs> Hey, it's out there. Sorry. Yeah, exactly. Man. It's fucking out there. What and must I, mean, I do? Not use it? Yeah, and when you're sitting there chilling like in Thailand, you're like, oh, what am I going to do for the next three hours? I'll just watch a movie. I'll just watch a movie that's on at the cinema, but I'll just watch it on my phone. <laughs> and then I'll go train again, you know? What's the cinemas in Thailand like? Kak? Mm. Kak, good. Really? The cinemas are amazing, bro. Okay. It's like the chairs are super big, comfy. Everything's really nice. It are feels we talking like waterfront class here? Like casino class, you know, it feels like you're going to a casino just to go watch a movie and every one of them is like that. Feels like you're going to a casino. Yeah, like carpeted floors when you go and everything's oh, like, yeah, you know, yeah. mirrors everywhere. <laughs> it's just really cool. I like this stuff there. And Especially all, in Bangkok, like really good. And, well, and most of it's in English with Thai subtitles. That's what I was going to say. Yeah. yeah. So like I watched a few movies, like I watched it while I was there. and I still need to watch that. What other stuff did I watch? Anyway, like every now and again you're bored and it's cheap. So you go, it's like 50 bucks to watch a movie, 50 rand, you know. Jeez, what's it here to watch a movie? I don't know. I, I don't even know. Probably <laughs> <Fuck, do laughs> like a hundred bucks now. I hate going to cinemas. More. I mm. fucking hate Such going. Such a ripoff. You know? No, no, not the monetary perspective, but you're basically sitting in seats that, you, they might as well be dry cum on them. <laughs> Those things do so, not get cleaned. Yeah, that's what it's Fuck safe, you right? if you tell me they do get cleaned, because they do not. And I'm sorry. There's no, such a weird way to think of it. Yeah, man, it's fucking if. And then you get raped with the price yeah. at the end. Yeah. No, I'll wait for it to come out on Netflix. <laughs> Netflix. Dude, you're watching Netflix. 
Uh, I watch a few things every now and again, yeah. What but do I you don't actually st- I don't have streaming on Netflix itself, no. Okay. But I watched like um what are some of the T V shows I've been watching? Obviously the Stranger Things, we finished that while we were over there. And uh Punisher, that was pretty cool. I'm That's in that at the thing, moment, yeah. 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 It's pretty decent. And also like we watched that um that Bright movie. Have you seen it? I watched it when I was in Durban. <laughs> I was like, what is this shit? And I saw actually first saw a UFC, like a joke ad. No, like, they were sponsoring it. They yeah. were sponsoring the yeah, event. Yeah, it wasn't a joke ad. No, like but like the joke ad, not for the movie, like a joke ad for a fight oh, okay. between an orc and Travis Brown. <laughs> oh shit! And if you saw that, it was like a promo thing. They so shot I, that. I first saw that before I saw that there was even this movie, and I was like, what is this stuff? It just seems so weird. It, it seemed like a little. It was like a three-minute little video, but yeah. uh, Matt Serra is like the coach of this orc, <laughs> and he's trying to Dana, he's getting Dana White, and like they interview Dana White. The guys are like. Will we ever see an orc in the UFC? He's like, <laughs> no. I'm like, mark my words, you'll never see this guy fighting or whatever. Oh my God, I and then they got this. It, yeah, some other, oh yeah, probably <laughs> look for Bright or look for like UFC orc or something like that. It'll be um, on YouTube. Yeah. And then they bring in this orc to fight Travis Brown and he gets like KO'd in the first round, like the first <laughs> smash, you know? And he's like, I just want to, he's like, I just want to do this for my orc race or whatever to show that we can do this stuff. And first round, bang, gets smashed. Um, his coach takes him backstage and he's like, you know, at least you did this, and you're the first openly orc UFC fighter. And the, the orc's like, open, first openly, and he goes like, yeah, and he shows, takes something off his hand, and he's got like blue skin underneath it, and it's just like, whoa. Fuck, I need to see this. I was like, well, this is so weird. And then, like a, two days later, I saw the movie being advertised, and I was like, uh, which one is the, which one came first? Was UFC messing around, or was the movie? I don't know. So they made like a joke out of that, yeah. But that movie was fucking killer. Yeah, it was pretty good. It was goddamn Surprisingly. You know what I mean? Like, I saw this and I'm like, oh, this is going to be stupid. What has Will Smith got himself into? Some movie where a cop and orc and a... <laughs> Spent a billion dollars on that. What? A billion. That's crazy. Yeah, it was Netflix's biggest budget movie they've ever made. Wow. And obviously to have Will Smith as a lead yeah. ain't cheap. Yeah. Among the spectacular fucking special effects yeah, that, that movie really good. was basically built on. And that Joel Edgerton is the, the orc. Like, a lot of people don't know what it is. Man, Have you seen Warrior? The brother? The older brother? That's the orc guy. No way. Yeah. <laughs> He's the orc. Shit. <laughs> Fuck. Fucking hell. I had and no now, idea. Now you're, like, clicking. Like, you can kind of see the face, the reactions. He's got this, like, look about him anyway. Like, his eyes and stuff. So, yeah. I struggle to pick up any... I was looking for that kind of look in a face. Yeah. But I was struggling to pick it up. Yeah. Like, that, orc, that orc face was fucking convincing. Yeah, I kept thinking it was the dude from... Uh, the Hawkeye from the Avengers. You know where that dude is? Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. What's his name again? Well, anyway, that guy, I kept thinking it was him because it looks kind of similar. Like before I knew who it was. And then at the end of the movie, I was like, oh, now it all makes sense. <laughs> Tell me about your Thailand life, bro. Yeah, crazy, bro. We actually Chrissy, moved, wait, we moved wait, around wait. like so much, actually. You quit your job. Yeah. As the Tatler's most wanted fight journalist. <laughs> Tatler and others, yeah. So I was working on, on the community pages. And yeah. So we had like about 15 papers out. And I was not just a reporter. I was, you know, photographer and also doing layout and stuff. So I was this sub-editor there. Shit, you're balls deep in that newspaper. Yeah, I was like pretty much, yeah, as, as deep as you can go. <laughs> and then had you been thinking of quitting for a long time? Or was this something that you just decided, fuck this shit, I'm out? Yeah, well, Tam and I, my wife, we were... Discussing it for a while, like she's an accountant, so she was under quite a high pressure job working, you know, like it was getting quite tough. And yeah. about a year before this, we were like, we need to start making more time to go away and travel a bit. 
And then 2016, I went to Thailand for a month by myself to go train. Yeah, uh, I remember that. Yeah. So I went there and I was like, dude, I want to do this long term. I don't want to just do this as like a get a break from my work and then go and do something like that. So we chatted about it and she was also keen just to you know, take a break, a little bit of a sabbatical from working and stuff. Like we don't, we don't still haven't come out of it yet. Like I'm not too sure what's the next step. But I'm going to be heading back, obviously, uh, maybe March, April, depending if I can land a fight here or something. So, yeah, we just uh, packed up our bags and went. You know, our, our lease was running out in our flat, so we were like, got my brother to take that over. Yeah. That way we got to keep the couches and everything there. <laughs> and someone was always watering the plants. Yeah, exactly. It didn't do very well with those plants, but... Uh, <laughs> Hey man, but, yeah. I always take care of indoor plants. Yeah, it's just that kind of thing. Like we were like, okay, we need, to, we're gonna get out of here now. Take care of all the sort of finer details. Quit our jobs, same time. You know, like it was quite a hectic build up. Like knowing we're gonna be doing this. This is our last month of work, or whatever. But a fast build up. Yeah, it went quick, quickly. Like we had always spoken about it, and so like for about a year, we'd always been like, yeah, it would be so cool to do that. But then you know, you never really. It's always like that pie in the sky. Like okay. We're going to do it, we're going to do it. And then all of a sudden it's like, boom, we're doing this now, you know. There's the unknown though, that's the thing. Yeah, of course. Like you don't want to just, and also giving up, like when you've been building on your career now for the past, I don't know, six, seven years, building it up to a point and you're like, okay, am I ready to like leave that all behind? Everyone's, and also when you speak to people, they're like, no, you're crazy. Like you're going to have to start over when you get there. And I just keep thinking, I don't know if that's really what I'm doing. I feel like I'm progressing in different ways. Yeah. Like I'm not coming back to Cape Town and coming like starting over again. I just keep moving with whatever I'm doing, which is cool. So you <coughs> quit jobs simultaneously, packed your bags, yep, and buggered off to Thailand. Yeah, well, Thailand and others. The whole thing, we initially planned three months. So it was three months for us just to travel a little bit. Yeah, that's right. You guys traveled a lot around Southeast Asia yeah, first. Yeah, it was first, uh, just the three months for us to decide, okay, first to chill out and then to sort of decide what we want to do. Fuck, so we actually packed nice. our bags with like things that we didn't even use over this whole seven months that we were gone. And I took a pair of boxing boots with me. I literally wore them once because I wasn't sure what, what, what our movements were going to be. So we started off in Thailand. No, we actually started off in Malaysia for a few days because it was cheaper to fly into Kuala Lumpur and then into Bangkok than to Bangkok direct. So we were like, okay. Nice give travel a few days. There. Yeah. Give ourselves a few days in KL and we just traveled a bit there and uh, went to go see some tourist attractions. Malaysia then, cool? Yeah, very cool. I've been there before. So it's like I have a bit of a soft spot for Malaysia because it was the first place I went when I went overseas. I went to go play a rugby tour there. <laughs> yeah, they had like a tennis tournament every year. Oh, that must have been such a blast. Yeah, that was awesome. And that was like playing with like a lot of really good players. I was, I think only two or three of us that went provincial rugby players at the time. And a lot high of those, level club players. Yeah, like really, really good like club level guys. And uh, a lot of those guys have gone on to play internationally and stuff, like mates that I made through that. So it was also cool. So it's like, a, it's got a bit of a history for me going to KL again. Um, into Thailand, first thing we did was set up shop in Bangkok, and then we were like, okay, cool. Uh, when I'd gone there last time, I did the islands. So I was in Pangan, I was in Samui, training there uh, two weeks, two weeks. When so I you came, trained for two weeks and then chill for two weeks? No, I did two weeks training at one gym okay. in Samui, then I moved to a different island, two weeks training there. I did one fight over that time as well. Uh, so now I was like, okay, everyone was telling me about Chiang Mai. Chiang Mai is a city in the north. But just wait, back to your fight. Who was it against? A small against tiger. A, like a tiger, yeah. But a small but it, guy. It was small. For Thai, it was big. You know, like probably about 80 Ks. And I was walking around maybe about 93, 94 at the time. But strong, you know. Like he was whipping kicks and it went five rounds. The first time I'd gone the distance in a pro fight kind of thing. So. And you obviously won. 
Yeah, I won. Yeah. But it was a hard fight. Yeah, it was hard. And I didn't think I was winning the fight. When you left South Africa, was that first fight your hardest fight you ever had? When I left the first time? Considering what you, your career that you've had here in Cape Town and South Africa, was that fight in Thailand, that first one, the hardest one you ever had? I don't know. I think I had progressed a bit to the point where I'd had harder fights when I wasn't as good. Does that make sense? Yeah. So like I was a little bit better now, so it didn't seem as hard as some of the fights that I had maybe when I was an amateur, but still a really tough fight. So like definitely a lot tougher than some of the ones that I'd had le just leading up to that. And what was the heat like on the day or the night? Ooh, just hot. Really hot. And You've you never done that before? Well, no, you're fighting in like a small stadium. I mean, probably takes about 500 people. It's more like a club. The yeah. music is just pumping. You don't have a warm-up like we do. Yeah, you don't go... There's no sectional area. There's a little space. You know, like, at this particular one was, like, out in the back. Some of the ones are 49, like, you're literally, like, in the stadium warming up next to your opponent. <laughs> warming up. And when I say warming up, I mean, like, very uh, liberal use of the term, you know? Which is stretching out, basically. It's stretching out and getting rubbed down. Yeah. You don't hit pads. You don't hit a bag or anything. You don't really get sharp in your mind. It's more of a get your body warm, loose up, and get in the ring. That's how they go over there. <laughs> so in this space, you know, club music, like very like, doo, doo, doo. feels like you're like in some Russian movie or something. Uh, guys all smoking right next to the ring. Yeah, I was going to think the it's a lot of like old guys <laughs> taking bets. And yeah, there's a, there's a betting section at the stadium I was fighting at the first time. So it's very like an information overload. You know, you're so used to coming from fighting at, you know, these set little things and also like professionally run that when you get there, everything feels a bit of a, like crazy, crazy place. <laughs> But, um, but there's fun. lots of action going on in the betting there, though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The guys are just like shouting and they're always pointing at each other and they're showing different symbols of their hands. If they're going two, 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 five, 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 you know, that kind of thing. The so guys, what was the kind of betting on your fight? Do you know? I'm not sure, but one guy did say that he lost 2,000. I think he must have bet against me because <laughs> I won. So how did he lose 2,000? I'm not sure. <laughs> 2,000 baht or something. Did this you say it to your face? Yeah, it's one of the guys at the gym. Uh, <laughs> you know, like he said to me, oh, you made me lose 2,000 baht or something. I was like, but I won the fight, so does that mean that you bet against Yeah, me? that means he bet against you, <laughs> yeah. son. Yeah, but also that's because the way the fight is going. And they, they score very differently there. Like, it's not about, like, the way we go around. Explain around. to me the scoring system. Ooh. I know it's different. Yeah, it's different, but it's also, it's almost not set. There's no one way that they score. Every stadium you go to is probably going to be different. But the way I try and explain it to people is that we would go round for round. If you take the round, then you know, it's 10-9 round or whatever, then you've got that one point for yourself. Yeah. But for them, they seem to work or what has been explained to me as like a story system. So you can win all four of the first four rounds and then still lose the fight because you didn't get that fifth. The storyline works at like, if I hit you and you don't, if I score a point scoring punch or kick, but you just look at me as if like, meh, that didn't do anything. You know, put your hands up and shake your head and smile at the guy. Showboat, basically. No point. I can hit you 50 times and you just keep taking it, walking forward. You're scoring like that. So the scoring, it's difficult to explain because like it's, it's a lot more subjective than our scoring would be. It seems there's a lot of theater involved in it. Exactly. So like this, it's called what they call a storyline. Like you can be getting smashed, but you're still winning the fight because you like, you're the tougher opponent. You know, you're looking good out there and you can be taking the hits, but you're still moving forward. You're still like acting like it's not phasing you. You're scoring to them. Not scoring points, but you're scoring the fight overall. When they get to the end of the fight to make the decision, they go, hmm, he was losing on getting hit, but he was still looking really good. Sometimes I'll even call a draw on something like that, where someone's like smashed the other opponent, 
but he didn't, you know, he took it like a man, basically. Or she took it like a man. <laughs> so even though he would have, in a boxing match, got the points scored shit kicked out of him, yeah. playing his playing side, because he was tough and he didn't drop and he took all those shots yeah. and he made as though he was not harmed, yeah. they gave him the fight. Yeah, exactly. That can happen like that. So I think that's what actually happened in my first fight, because I, when I look back at the videos and how I was thinking about it at the time, I definitely lost what I thought was the first two, maybe even three rounds out of five. <laughs> you just didn't know what the fuck was going on. Yeah, and I, I felt very slow. You know, it was the first time I hadn't had to wait Gutner to get there, so I wasn't very sharp. So he came in at what, 86? No, I was like low 80s, like maybe 81, 82. <laughs> and you were 92. I was in my 90s, yeah, 93, maybe even 94. So I was feeling very sluggish, and I started off very slowly because like in K1 you started very rough, and with them it's like, and my style has changed a bit now that I started off way slower. Soft kicks, feeling out the thing, and he just came blasting which they would normally do because they're trying to almost shell shock you yeah so they come in and they'll give you like this they'll start off chill but they'll whack this a really hard kick and you're like whoa where did that come from I ain't like, fucking around. <laughs> yeah yeah you're not playing games in there but you are sometimes you know as a foreigner a foreigner as they call it farang you sort of <laughs> you come in so derogatory <laughs> farang, yeah it's basically like calling someone a numlungu in a way you know, it's like that same sort of term. So they'll, they'll use it and they'll throw it around every now and again. Farang. Farang. <laughs> it just means like white foreigner to them. Because they won't call like a Chinese person a farang or even a black guy a farang. They'll only call like a white <laughs> It's a cracker foreigner. special. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> That's hilarious. <laughs> that's what I'm saying. So like you'll hear them drop that in their tie like when they're speaking. You hear farang, farang, farang. Oh, that's so fucking like, cool. As the farangs, you normally come in as a bit more respectful. Sometimes some farangs are like, you know, they're just crazy. You know, they get like some Russian guy who just walks in and just wants to smash the guy. But generally the farangs come in and they, you know, they, they really want to test the water, especially if they're not very experienced. I've seen that a lot. Like they come in and then they get smashed and they're like, whoa, I don't know what to do now. <laughs> so that's how they like shell shock the guys. Um, so yeah, that was just an interesting experience as well. Like learning that it's not all about point scoring. For them, there's a bit of a story to it. So I still won that fight because in round four and five, I just came out and started blasting this guy. So even though he technically was, what I would say, the technically superior fighter in the first three rounds, I just kept smashing him, you know, walking forward, walking forward. So even though I'd been like, I'd pointed, by the third by the third round, I started switching on a lot more. And then I started smashing him. And, and I suppose you like, also got used to his shots. You'd, yeah, you'd, yeah, like, yeah. You'd, you knew what to expect. And yeah, you kind of worked out what his punching rhythm was in and terms how, of power because everyone's how quick got that he was rhythm as well. Yeah. How, that's what I think I wasn't expecting is the, the speed because he wasn't a small guy; he was shorter than me, but he still seemed like a fairly big Thai guy, you know, to be around eighty k's. But the speed at which he was whipping those kicks in was like something like I had never seen before. Shit. So to me, it was like whoa. I even like walked out to some waltz and stuff, and I was just, but I was smiling in the first two rounds, even though like he's and he was sweeping me like I would kick him, he'd catch. Swept me to the ground, you know, that's like really bad because that's a like good scoring for them too. Yeah, take downs. Certain things are like more important to them. Like if you punch, they almost don't score that. So you can be smashing a guy, you can have really good like Western style boxing and they're almost not scoring it. But you get a kick, you know, you get your knees and your elbows and you're catching, you're sweeping, you're clinching really well. That's important for them. It's not so much, it's not, that's why I feel it's difficult to explain it as a point scoring system, which is when you take the same sport of Muay Thai and you take it to somewhere like the States, where it's pretty big. Then they'll the stick it in the ten nine, uh, the ten point muscles, yeah. and make it. So then they have, then they'll have the more sports side of it, yeah. Where it's not really a cultural reference. Because they more don't understand the culture. It's the sport, and that's really cool as well. But it's difficult for guys who are floating in between those two. You know, even for someone like myself, if I come back now and fight a K one fight, you need to remember that you're only about the scoring now. 
Yeah, so you got to switch in a different direction. Yeah, luckily my, my fighting style stays kind of the same because I've always been kind of an in-between. It's not so much about points or power. I use a bit of both. So I'm trying to do the best job from all different perspectives in a way yeah. when I fight. So what do you think your first K1 fight, if you get a K1 fight here, is going to... How do you think it's going to go in terms of... So you're not going to be cognizant of the fact that there's... Or you're going to be cognizant of the fact there's no more of that sort of mythical type score. Yeah, yeah, yeah. you got to switch It's on. definitely going to be point scoring. I've been thinking about it a lot, actually, and I think it's going to be a lot faster. Depending how many rounds I have, because if I have to defend my belt or something, it's going to be a five-rounder. Yeah, but you wouldn't do anything less than five. Surely. There, there should be, because K1, professional K1 should be running at three three-minute rounds. What is it at the moment? Depends on the promotion, but it should be. You know, on international standards, like Glory. Yeah, I watch Glory. Stuff. It's three three-minute Three threes. So, like, if it's going to be a three-rounder, the fight's going to be blitzingly fast, for me at least. Already, like, from watching some of my videos, the movement, the way that I've changed a little bit, it's going to be really fast. I don't know who I'm going to be fighting. That obviously determine how I fight. But, yeah, that's what I see it going. And you're talking about really defending fast. your SA title? Yeah, then it'll be a five-rounder. I might take that a little bit more chilled in, like, the first two rounds, see how it goes, but then fast again. I feel like with having dropped all this weight as well, because I walked in at 96 when I went over, but my last fight I was 84. Fuck. Yeah, so it's been quite intense. And, like, my speed has increased, but my style is a little bit different. Like, when I was watching the video, my defense is more about moving. So, like, I'm bouncing around, That's which is, like, thing. different. Yeah, it's very good. For tires, it's maybe not such a good thing, because for them it's all about, they say, sabai, sabai, which just means relax, relax, take it slow, and they get into that rhythm of just standing in front of each other and whacking each other. So when you move, they almost see it as like you're chicken, you know? Don't move. Stay there. Take the kick. Check the kick. Catch the kick. That kind of thing. Don't get out the way. So always <laughs> keep walking forward. Yeah. And that's it. They, if you'll hear them shouting, it's like almost, they almost won't tell you what to do. They'll just shout forward, forward, your name and forward, 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 forward the whole time. And you're like, okay, what do I do though? Do I need to punch the guy? Do I need to kick him? It doesn't matter. Just go forward. <laughs> so defensive wizards don't really get much appreciation there. Uh, yeah, you, you can have defense that they consider good would be like checking a kick okay. as opposed to moving out the way. So Catching you, they, kicks with your... With they want you to almost take the damage because that's like how a tough manly fighter would take it, you know. Mm. So you're going to take your damage on your shins or whatever and checking the kicks, catching kicks rather than get out the way. Fuck, but you're still getting blasted. Exactly. Checking a kick's not fun. Yeah, and you know you've got to fight another two weeks from now, so... <laughs> Shit. So your the, fights are very, very uh, close yeah. together. I mean, in the space of the bang, bang, bang. in the space of three months, I think I did four fights now when I was, while I was out there. Holy shit! But in five weeks, I did three. One point something a month. Yeah. Well, in that five weeks now, most recently, so in December, into uh, yeah, November, December, I did three fights in five weeks. So that was quite intense. I mean, I'm not like an 18 year old anymore. My recovery is quite slow. Um, injuries that you walk around with, like you go into a fight camp. Knowing that I can't kick with my right leg because my ankle hasn't healed from my fight three days ago. But I'm starting my new camp right now because I'm fighting in like a week and a half. <laughs> it's quite intense. And I kind of wanted it like that. Like I wanted to get as much in as I could, even though it's kind of a silly way to do it. You should be like taking that time to chill, taking that time to recover. You know, walk, I'm walking around like an ice pack every night just because I know I need to train again the next morning. But like taped around your leg. Yeah, pretty much. I usually take like socks and stuff and tie it to me. <laughs> Fucking hell. And that's just, and so you're never going into any fight camp 100%. I don't believe you ever do anyway. 
Did you? Know? you? Not in this, not in this like no. little section now. But I mean, even when I'm back home, I often believe you know, I don't rely on being 100%. I just rely on knowing that I can do whatever I want to do, regardless of whether I'm 100% or not. If one limb's fucked, I've got three others. Exactly. Yeah. And a lot of the guys do fight like that, and I know because when you're on fight camp with someone, you know the injuries they go through, and they're doing the same thing. So like the guys are like, okay, you haven't kicked this whole camp, but you walk into that ring and you start kicking. You know, it's like it's still there, and you're throwing that injured leg, but you still Your you need to score. Pumping though, so. And you need to score. Yeah, that's it. And you don't really care that it hurts. You do whatever you need to do to get that result, and that's how the guys fight. And that's what I do when I was over there too. So I'm dying when I'm training, and you don't know when I get into the ring what I've come from the last two weeks. But I just go out there and just do what I got to do. <laughs> But then in your gym that you train at, what's the name of that gym? Which one? While I was over there now? Yeah. Yeah, I trained at a few different gyms, but the last sort of big one is called Paul Silipai, which was in Chiang Mai. That's the gym where I was spent a lot of time. So I spent about three months of my total trip now in Chiang Mai with the idea that I was trying to get bigger fights. Uh, you know, they had contacts with good promoters and stuff. So yeah, that's the gym. And were there multiple guys that are going to be fighting with you on the same kind of cards or was they all over the place? in terms of where they fight all around Thailand, or was it mainly like sort of your yeah, guys in your gym yeah, it's, it's fighting your For area. this gym, it was pretty local, so the guys were fighting on the local stadiums and cards, but most of the time you'd only have like one Farang fighting on a card. One Farang? Yeah, one foreigner fighting on a card. If you had like two, um, it's kind of difficult for them to promote your fight when there's two of you, but they'll have like, if it's just one guy, they'll put a big picture of you and your flag and a whole bunch of Thai guys, and it looks like you, you know, versus the whole Thai country there. And call you Khan. Yeah, call me all different things. It was always so fun to see what they're going to call me. As long as I started with a K, I was happy, you know, and then I did get one where they call me Carl with a C, and that was just people taking the piss. Please tell me you kept a copy of each one of those posters. Yeah, some of them, like I've got like a really big one hanging up in the gym back home, yeah, which is from my first fight when I was in Chawing. So that's like really cool, like a big vinyl poster that's hanging in the gym. Every now and again, you'd be like, you know, on a small card, a small little poster. Got a few of those as well. But for each one, I have something, even if it's just like a photocopy that was stuck to a pole or something. Yeah. And then your second fight, how much time did you have to prepare? For my second Thai fight? No. Yeah. Um, I think I had about two or three weeks. So I rocked up at this gym. I was actually initially planning to go to another place called Quest. Uh which is like a more of an MMA gym, and they have a lot more international fighters. So they rep, there. yeah, their rep looks like really good. So they have obviously they're Muay Thai guys, but they also have guys, you know, flying in from around the world to come do jits and stuff like yeah. that. So I initially thought, cool, that's the gym I'm going to go to. They look pretty professional, and uh, I can also, you know, experiment with a bit of other things while I'm there. Uh, then my wife did the booking of hotels, and when I first got there, the, the gym I wanted to go to was about four k's away from the first hotel we were staying at. That's a run. Yeah, it's not so bad, um, but I just whenever I get in in a new city, I just Google Muay Thai gyms, and there was one like a kilometer away. So I took a little bike from the hotel. I took a little drive out there the one morning, dressed in my gear, ready to go train, and I just popped in at this gym, and said, "Hi guys, can I come join for class?" And then obviously they don't say no. You're paying for it, so. And then uh, I asked them about fights, like would they be able to get me a fight? And the coach. The head coach, the crew wasn't there. It was actually <coughs> further down south in the country. But the manager of the gym was like, yeah, yeah, I'll speak to the guy if you want. We can get you a fight. How long are you here for? I said, you know, at the time I saw testing the waters and I wasn't sure. I wasn't coming over there to go fight. 
I went over there to go have a holiday. But when you're in Thailand, you know, that's part of your holiday for me. I suppose have a you fight watched fights before you had your first fight and you're like, fuck, this has got me. I've got to do this. Over there? Yeah. No, like when I first went over, I was going there to go fight. You know? So you didn't watch a single like local sort of fight card in Thailand before you had your first fight. You just went straight into your first fight. You see, like for me, it's split up in two. So the first was in 2016. That's when I first went over. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I already had that experience. I don't think I actually... No, I did go watch if one of the friends from the gym. I went to go watch a fight before. So I knew what the stadium was going to be like, and it was quite crazy. Because I was like, you know, the first time I'm sitting there next to these guys, and they're smoking right up on the ring, and the people are just, like, shouting behind me. And I was like, damn, this is such a crazy scene. I'm going to be doing this in, like, two weeks, you know. I think what a lot of people don't understand is that they always seem to think that to get in at a gym or something, you kind of need to be invited. People from South Africa or from wherever. No, you can just pitch up, dude. Literally just rock up, but I don't, people don't know that. I didn't know that. I, I thought that was common knowledge. No. Sorry. Yeah, that's not, that's not a thing. I think a lot of people think, how do I get in there? I need to either, you know, be friends with someone who's training there. Not a fuck. Literally walk in. Ties love the exactly. bucks, brother. It doesn't matter. You just walk in. <laughs> exactly. They just want your bucks. They want your money. But that's like one of the things. Like at the time, I thought, okay, I need to be set up before I can go there. Exactly. Which yeah. sounds like now that I look back and it sounds very naive to think, you know, that I couldn't just rock up somewhere. <laughs> it's just something that I would like, I think a lot of people need to know that. Obviously, getting there is the first issue, getting your bucks to go get your flight over. But I think if a lot of people knew that they could just walk into a gym, tell the guys you want to fight, and then fight. You don't even have to be experienced. I've seen guys who haven't fought before take a fight on two weeks, you know, train the belly now to throw a punch in a correct technical way, but still go out there and win a fight, you know. It's like something cool for them to do. It's part of their holiday. So I really thought that was common knowledge. People knew that you can go to, like, Tiger Muay Thai in Phuket. No. You see, like, even like something they like that. They even have accommodation that's like a hotel yeah, yeah, yeah. standard to go and yeah. stay in while you train that, for two or three hours. I was going to do it, and then I wrecked my ankle. That only really starts happening once you start researching it, you know. Yeah. I think for a lot of guys, like the guys over here who are pretty good young fighters, they think, I need to be invited to come over there. If you're willing to pay, you can get anything in Thailand. That's the thing. You know, if you got them bucks for it, you can you can pay and go get your fight, go get your accommodation. It's cool. Yeah. And your most <laughs> recent sort of run of fights. Mm. What was the hardest one you had? Hmm. So have you lost three or four? Because I know they've been yeah. getting progressively harder. Yeah, in a way. Um, I think each one of them came with like a new challenge. But I think the hardest one for me actually, even though I won the fight was when I came up and I was had just struggled now to get down to 85. So it meant like being in Thailand on a special diet because... What was that special diet? Well, my diet usually just contains like block eating systems. So like I have portion size is important, but then also like eating certain carbs, mixing it with certain proteins and fats, like just small meals to get down the weight and training twice a day. I wouldn't say it was difficult to drop the weight, it's just tough knowing that, you know, I'm the one working here trying to get my weight down. And I walked into a fight. So I weighed in 85 on the night because the weigh-ins are very lax, very lax over there. Yeah, you just literally get on the scale. You can be three or four Ks over what you agreed on. No one really cares. Um, so most of the guys, they don't diet. They just train, you know, and they eat whatever they want. But I knew I was trying to get down to 85 because we were looking for, oh, we were trying to get on like a really big promotion in Thailand called Max Muay Thai. And we'd already spoken to promoters and we'd been given like a, a weight to be at and they were going to find me an opponent. So they agreed on a purse, they agreed on a weight for me and they said I'm going to have a bite three to four weeks to get ready. 
It never came about, but I was trying to keep my weight there in case it did, because I'd already said in November, we're going to make this happen for you, and so did the gym. That was the one reason why I came back again. So I'd been there, and I could have gone anywhere else, and I did train at a few other gyms, but I came back to this one because I was looking for that opportunity, that little break. Um, yeah, so that talking about that fight, my second last one now, I come in at 85 on the night. And I saw, like, they have a little sheet where they write down your weights. And I was probably, like, the second or third last person to weigh in. So all the other weights are on there already. And even being, like... Had you eaten the day of your weigh-in? Yeah, yeah, I ate a little bit. I was on weight. You know, I managed to get down to 85. So I was constantly on the scale, checking, checking, checking. But I would also, like, eat them very lightly that day, just to make sure that I'm, you know, not pushing it. And because the promoter said to me, 85, cool, you're good with that? And I was like, okay, cool, I can do that. Um... So his weight was already on the page when they filled mine in. So it's cool. Got on the scale, 85. Checking, 108. I was he like, was 108. He was 108 kgs. I was like, uh, what? That can't be right. And I don't mind if the guy's really big because I'm normally way bigger than the other guys. My main gripe was telling me to get down to 85. And I'm working hard to be lighter than I'm comfortable with. Uh, and then just putting me with anybody anyway. Could have just let me be 90, you know? <laughs> so that was the, is that day of the fight weigh-ins or pre-weigh-in day before? Day of the fight. Day of the this fight. Is, this is like an hour before I'm about to fight. <laughs> so there's no rehydration time there. No, well, luckily, like, I hadn't, like, cut to get there. But I was just, yeah, still trying to stay as light as possible, but not drinking too much and stuff like that. It's just... Who was this 108-kilo guy? Was he from Thailand? A Thai guy. Just really thick, solid, what they call pumpoi which means like fat and overweight to them. But it's actually like a rude way of saying it. You know, like they have a good way of saying fat is uh, uan. If they say he's uan, it just means he's a fat guy. But if they say pumpoi, it means like a slob, like a fat slob. Um, they call this guy a fat slob. <laughs> My coaches are calling him that, yeah. But the funny thing is like he's, he's big, okay? He's not as tall as me. Most people aren't as tall mm -hmm. as me, even if they're my weight. Like even back here, I'm fighting guys that are way shorter. But his legs were like thick, like tree trunks, and he was a solid guy, you know. For me, that the big issue there was getting around my own fear of fighting a bigger guy. Because I had to go, go in there and like, be like, whoa, I'm the small guy now. And when he climbed into the ring, the crowd went, ooh, like, oh, <laughs> this guy's going to have some trouble here. Big guy climbing in. He was pretty good, but he wasn't as mobile as I was. But I think that was probably my toughest fight because it was a mental block. More so was he just else. sort of sitting in the middle and you were moving around him? Yeah, I worked a lot off the back foot, so he was just coming forward, throwing bombs the whole time. I ate a few big shots, but I was also delivering, you know, I was like landing my shots very cleanly. Their defense isn't always that good when it comes to your boxing. And I've got long, quick jabs and stuff, so I was just keeping him, keeping him away, keeping him away, moving around. It's not something that they teach you there. It's something that I know as a fighter myself. More of like a K1 style. Yeah. To be able to work off the back, kicking, and work throw off the back, punching. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Try and keep him away. I think that was really tough because it put me in a situation where I was not the underdog necessarily, but I felt I wasn't like on top of this guy until I started working him. And I ended up dropping him in the second round. You know, so he went down. Um, yeah, but that was probably the toughest one. When did it end? Second round? Yeah. But a minute into the second. He stayed on because he was that hurt or because he was gassed out that he couldn't get I back I think out? he was pretty gassed, but I th think he was also frustrated at the way that I was fighting. He couldn't. He, all he wanted to do was land a big shot. And I'm sure that most Farangs that he fights, 
He just needs to land one big punch and the fight is either over or he starts dominating. Did he connect you at all that cleanly? He got him some clean shots. Like there's a, when I watch the video and I can see my chin and my neck actually being, you know, like jolted a bit. But it's strange because when you get hit like that, I was if I was watching myself, I'd be like, ooh, that was a big shot. But in the ring, I don't feel that. Yeah. I get hit and I just go, keep going. <laughs> Not so yeah. make you worry and shut your brain off. Yeah. I mean, they were hard, but I felt like I was connecting a lot harder, even though I was way lighter than him. So you'd, it's more sort of like a, a winning of the battle of will. Yeah. I mean, just being in the ring, there's like a part just before we're about to start doing like the walking around and seeing the ring, where I was like, what are you doing here? And I remember like looking down, my wife was in the corner and I looked at it and I just shook my head as in like, why am I doing this? But you don't say no in Thailand. You know, I'm fighting a guy that's 23 gauges heavier than me, but it's like, and he looked pretty good. Like, I mean, it's, you can't really look at a guy and say if he's really good, but sometimes you look at a guy and you think, damn, this guy looks dangerous. And the tattoos of like all the Muay Thai tattoos up on his back and stuff, like this specific type of tattoos that Muay Thai fighters have there. Those I've stadium got one signatures. Uh, it's called Sakyan. It's like spiritual tattoos and stuff, you know. So yeah, so this guy came in with all of that. He had this like, Crazy headband, which just made, made him look really legit. And he was wearing his Max Muay Thai uh, shinies, like his um, ankle guards. And you only get those when you fought on there. You can't just buy the brand. So I knew he was a pretty legit fighter. But I was assuming that he was a pretty legit fighter at maybe 85 or 90 Ks. Yeah. Not at 108 Ks. <laughs> so he would have been experienced. But he's a little bit older, a little bit bigger. I just knew I had to work really quickly and really smartly to try and win this fight. But yeah, standing in that corner looking down, shaking my head at my wife thinking, what am I doing this for? Why? And I was like, a split second, something said to me, if he hits you really hard, because he's the bigger guy now, if he hits you really hard and it hurts that much, just go down, you'll be fine. You know, that's what they all do. And then you get hit and it's like, no, nah, I think I'm the stronger guy here. You know, I think I have more power than him, even though he's way bigger. And then that's what I did, so I ended up just winning it like that blasting him like three and just like picking him apart you know what was his record <sighs> i don't know but the first guy that i fought when i was in chiang mai they told me i had over 200 fights so that's already like whoa your brain goes okay so i'm fighting a guy who's had over 200 and i'm assuming most of the guys that did about 100 fights matchmaking is a bit sketchy <laughs> hey super dodge so it was like my second muay thai fight <laughs> fighting a guy with uh like my second proper Muay Thai fight in the K1. Aside. And you know when they say 200 in Thailand, they're not fucking bullshitting. No, exactly. These guys fight from when they're four years old. That's why the, the coaches, they'll often ask you, like, are you okay with this? But you, you, <laughs> you don't get to say no. So they'll be like, he's had over 200 fights. Is that okay? And you just look in there and you're like, um, okay. Because you don't say no to them. If you say no, it's like, you know, that they really, they're all about keeping face. And you don't say no and you don't get upset about things. And you just smile. You it's just a bit laugh of a, it off. A force feeder lifestyle. Exactly. It's like, and I have friends who have said no to fights and stuff like that and been kicked off or kicked out of their gym and stuff like that. It's a bit crazy. But they're that, you know, intent on their, the way that they run their gym. I suppose it's also it's their warrior mentality. The particular type of warrior that comes out of Thailand has got that mentality. Do yeah, you yeah. fucking say no to me? And it's just, their whole thing is go forward. If you get smashed, that's fine. But you didn't say no. You took your beating and that was it. You know, you actually, you won, even though you lost. <laughs> pretty crazy, man. Yeah, it is quite wild out there. There's a lot to adapt to, like when it comes to like a cultural and never mind the heat and all that stuff. There's there's a lot you need to learn just with interacting with Thais. They're quite a different type of people, you know. And yeah, so they just, 
That was it. And then fighting and ended up winning it. So. Day to day in your camp, what was it kind of like? What was your schedule? Um, training six days a week, twice a day. Uh, at this particular gym, I was up. I think it was 7.30 to 9.30 every morning. We started with like a 10K jog, which was running around loops. So like I was the only guy doing it for some reason. You know, there was like a couple other fighters there, but they're a little bit, don't want to be rude, but maybe a bit more amateur style. Maybe like guys who have fought amateur back home and then come out to Thailand to try and experiment a bit. So I was sort of doing, I was being pushed a lot harder than a lot of the other guys there. So the schedule wasn't quite typical. But yeah, started with a 10K run. Uh, come in and just do your regular pads, bag, a little bit of technique and stuff like that. I don't feel like I sparred enough when I was at this gym. I don't feel like there were a lot of good sparring partners for me. Really? Yeah. I think that's one of the bigger problems with being a bigger guy. Yeah, you So got there were other options. like foreigners and other Thai guys that were pretty good, but they were all, you know, 60, maybe up to 75 kgs. It's not exactly easy for me. And you also need guys who are really good to push you. So it's sometimes difficult to find like high-level fighters. You find guys who can fight, but only every now and again you'll come up against a guy where you're like, whoa, this guy is actually maybe a little bit better than me. And that'll, that's when you actually grow a bit from your sparring, I think. Were there lots of Russian guys also on that kind of tip like you were? Not at my gym, but you see them every now and again, yeah. You're sort of talking about like the Scandinavian... Well, any of the Russian fighters, because I know Russia's got a huge following or following of fighters in, ta- in yeah, Thailand. Yeah, like, yeah. But like fighting Lupini Stadium and those yeah, kind of I think top, a lot of them, top places. I think a lot of them spend a lot of time either in Bangkok or on the islands. I think Chiang Mai is sort of, even though it's got a lot of stadiums and it's got a lot of Muay Thai gyms, it's sort of seen as like the backwater place to be. You know, they, they pay a lot less than the other places do. Uh, their stadium is quite small. But you can still get good quality training anywhere you go. You know? And for me, it was also not so much about learning too much technique. I already had my technique or the way I like to fight kind of down pat. I like to learn, but I also like to stick to my things that I'm good at. For me, it was about getting fit, training really hard twice a day, and then just getting the promotion fights. So like working my way up. So even if you start off small in, in Chiang Mai, which is in the north, and then making your way to May, because this is sort of like the way that they promised me, like, if you come back and you train for two to three months, we'll get you fights in Bangkok, we'll get you fights on Max Muay Thai. That was sort of the idea, and that's why I came back. So I was a little bit disappointed that that never happened in the end because it never really panned out. Even though we had spoken to promoters and organized certain things, the fights never really panned out. And that's why I ended up taking so many stadium fights because I was like, I want to stay active just in case this fight comes. But I don't want to take the fight, and then two weeks later I need to fight there again. But it was never forthcoming, so I just took whatever fights came my way. I suppose it's just the unpredictable nature <coughs> of how things are organized there. Yeah, and a lot of times they would say, like, we're waiting for a guy to come back from wherever he is around the world, and then we'll be able to match up with him, that kind of thing. So it's like, you know, this is very unpredictable, yeah. It's a good way to put it. Now, when you were in Thailand, in terms of your training being two sessions a day, so from 7.30 till, what, 9.30, then yeah. the middle of the day part, was that... You just chilling? Middle of the day, yeah, you're trying to chill. It was a bit difficult because I had my wife there and I didn't want her to just be, you know, sitting on her ass waiting for me to do my thing. So sometimes I'd want to try and get out to a little market or go have lunch somewhere nice, but most of the time it was just me being in a grumpy mood, knowing that I need to go train in like another two or three hours. So you basically have like a six-hour break 
where I'd l- preferably like to be sleeping or just chilling out, uh, watching a movie. Was so it's like, not as though you went down to the beach for a couple of hours and just lay there. You know, you kind of stayed around the place that you're training. Yeah, most of the time um, we rented a little apartment while we were there for two months. So we just come back to the apartment, maybe swim by the pool, even though it was like freezing cold. Um, yeah, just try and mellow out as much as possible, knowing you're going to go back into this hard session. And you feel really like you're run down when you're training, you know. Even after like three days of just training twice a day, you're pretty wrecked. Jesus, you're fucked. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And and because like I was taking breaks in between all the time, so like I travel for like two months and I come back. And then I'd be like on the draw somewhere and then come back and try and train. So it's quite tough uh, getting back into it each time. Um, but yeah, I think my main thing was just she knew what I was there for in that time was to try and train as much as I could, learn where I needed to and get the big fight. So she was also kind of chilled just to let it happen, you know. So yeah. <laughs> you mentioned Joel, are you coming up the creek? Uh I'm hoping to. I've got a mate that's um It's in two weeks' time. Yeah, yeah. I've got a mate that does that did the videography last year. Yeah. Did the filming. Like I said to him, I wanna come and shoot. And he was like, Cool, we'll do that. But I haven't heard from him since I've been back yet. So I need to get on his case. Otherwise <laughs> buy a ticket and come. Yeah, otherwise buy a ticket. Money's tight, man. Not working anymore. <laughs> so how long are you here down here in Cape Town for then? Um for now we're here for five days. So I leave on Monday, we're going up to Namibia. Oh cool. Yeah. What's so in Namibia? Namibian things. <laughs> <laughs> it's not like family. Or something no, we're just, we're just going to go on like a little road trip. We've always Tafalaga. wanted to. When you go over the N7, there's a sign that says Cape to Namibia route. And every, like when I was working, I used to drive past there with my wife and I'd say, Oh, you've never been up there? I've been to, into Namibia just yeah. to go to Orange River, but I've never actually been in Namibia itself. So I kept saying to her, One day I'm just going to drive down this road. Like even though I'm working and stuff, I'm like, Leave work behind, shoot up this road and just go see what it's like. And we always like used to talk like that, you know, as if that's going to happen. And now we actually have the opportunity to be able to do it. So we're going for like a little two-week drive. Well, I can promise you, man, I, <coughs> I did the same thing. I did the Orange River as well. And I've always wanted to do that drive again. Yeah. That's rad. But also, we, when me and my group of friends went there, we ended up having five days before we any of us had to be in Cape Town for any particular good reason. Mm-hmm. So we just fucked around in the desert, dude. Yeah. We had a map in the car. Cool. And we were just driving. And we in, in Namibia. In Namibia. So we did the Orange River and then we just went driving for basically five days. Okay. And we made it to the Fish River Canyon yeah. on New Year's Day. Wow. And sat there watching the most fucking amazing sunset over the Fish River Canyon. And it's a moment in my life I'll never forget because we rocked up. There were four of us. Yeah. We rocked up. And there was another car on the tourist sort of um, lookout area. Mm-hmm of the Fisher River Canyon. And there was another car there, and it was a dude, his wife, and his little daughter. So the four of us, we went and sat with our legs over the canyon and just stared. Yeah. And getting drank your, beer. Getting your view in, you know, that's what I like to do. I, I feel like I'm a bit of a view chaser. Yeah. And then a buddy of mine sparks up a joint. Yeah. And we're passing it around, and this dude, the father, he comes walking over to us, and he says, <laughs> Can I please have some? Ah, oh, yes, awesome. <laughs> we passed it over. I mean, we never, th- we never suspected yeah, it of being sure. an arsehole in any case. We're like, yeah. 
I could see what he wanted as yeah. the way that he walked towards. I was like, this motherfucker wants. It weed. was in his eyes. <laughs> it was in his eyes. He comes over. We give him some. He has a couple of quick tokes, and he goes, "Just wait. I'll be back in a minute." I'm like, "We ain't going nowhere, dude." <laughs> Passes it back. We carry on smoking. He comes back with two six packs of beer oh, that he had in a fridge inside his car. The exchange. He goes, "I'm going back to our tent. I've got plenty more." Wow. At the tent, yeah, you guys take these two nice. sixes and have fun. And we just sat there drinking beer, watching the sunset. And then when we were driving back to where we were camping, which is this place called Cannon Roadhouse, C-A-N-O-N. It's got all these burnt out old cars, rusted to shit, like just placed randomly around the building. And then a lot of old cars inside the building. And it's a massive campsite, but five star. <laughs> Yeah, it sounds awesome. Um, we were driving back there, and we just saw this massive thunder thunderstorm. But one of those anvils yeah, yeah. that must have been at least 14 kilometers. Like, Whoa. you can imagine that yeah, was the yeah. size. 14 Ks big, you know. And lightning just coming up and down the length of that cloud. And it was probably, like, 20 Ks away, and you're just watching this light show. We stopped the car. Yeah, I think you've had, like, a lot of, like, visual Jesus. overloads. The stimulus sounds amazing. <laughs> Dude, we stopped the car. We all sat on the road. No one was coming, and we are just drinking more beer, watching the storm yeah. for about a good 40 minutes. That sounds sick. It was fucking amazing. It's those sort of authentic, like, travel experiences that, you know, you don't see pe- that that's what people's looking for, you know? I see. And that's what I'm looking for when I go on my travels, to try and find something like that, authentic experiences with people, like, that interaction as well. As fleeting as it is, like that's a memory you're gonna have like forever. <laughs> and then Cannon Roadhouse was great. We ended up going back and we stayed at Port Nolith. Yeah. Um so that's back in South Africa. Back in SA, oh, we had like another two days. We needed to find Port Nolith and then one other place between there and Cape Town to stay. Yeah. And in Port Nolith, we just pulled in on a Sunday afternoon to the only restaurant that was open on the beachfront, aircom at that. And said to the waitress, is there any guest house that's got a room here? Where can we stay? And she gets us this house. Old Victorian house. I think for the four of us, it was like 1,200 rand (laughs) total. There was the presidential suite, which was the room that I gripped my bag out of the car. I went looking for it. As soon as I went through that front door, I was like, I'm looking for the presidential suite. And I spotted it straight. As soon as I walked through the door, it was on my right-hand side. I just chucked my bag onto that bed. I'm like, done. And then, but it was comfortable. There were beds all over the place. There were rooms all over the place. No, the king size bed, just a lot of singles. (laughs) And uh, they had this security guy, this colored dude, big guy, looked like he had been... He'd seen shit. Yeah. Know? He looks like Been he'd around seen around the shit. block. So before we went to that restaurant, we had gone to a Shabin and we had bought a bottle of Fish Eagle and we were just drinking it neat. Jeez, Fish Eagle at a Shabin. That sounds like quite a... We went from straight... Shabin, bro. It's the only, <laughs> where can you buy liquor on a Sunday afternoon? Yeah, but Fish Eagle, of all things, that's cool. Fish Eagle was right because you could drink it without anything. It's yeah, like, it's not yeah. it's not a killer whiskey. Yeah, it's an yeah. aperitif, but whatever, if you want to get technical about it. And this dude was the security guard of the house that we were staying in. So when someone's staying in the house, he's there. Yeah, wow. And the whole night, bro, he was walking around the perimeter of the building. You could see him through the windows. You could see his shadow going across. <laughs> like He just did that. And we were like, what the fuck is this oak doing? Can he yeah. not go and sit somewhere? <laughs> he's just circling the building the whole time. And we hear him breaking branches and throwing stones at the wall. I don't know what the fuck he was employed yeah, to do. If it was security or he's just there to make us freak out. Yeah. I mean, nothing happened. <laughs> Turns out that he was a prisoner in Polsbor. Whoa. He went there for some minor misdemeanor 
bank heist. Yeah. <laughs> no, some he robbed some he robbed I think he robbed a convenience store or something like that. Um so that was a bit freaky. And then I think we stayed at Elon's bar okay. last night, which was That's rad. cool, yeah. Elon's so you changed it up a little bit, like we're probably gonna be doing mostly the N seven. But what I'm doing though, which is kinda like a cool way to do it, is that I'm dropping people like when I've done a little bit of research, find a place that I think looks cool. I'm dropping them a quick email saying that I'm going to be writing up a piece for my blog, uh, and then would they be interested in you know giving us a free night's accommodation in exchange? And we've had quite a few like you know bites, so the people have come back saying cool, even if it's just camping. Like some people have been like, oh, don't camp, we've got a cottage for you, and yeah, there's a lovely shower and a shed for you to use in the morning. Yeah, that kind of thing. But I, I tell the guys I'm fine if you just have a spot for me just to throw my tent down. Even you know, it's like we're looking for that kind of like road there's trippy, just do whatever. Plenty. So we've got like a few days like sorted out like that at least. How That's far north do cool. you want to go? Um, yeah, we're still experimenting, but we're probably going to go as far as Vintuk, maybe even all the way to Stockholm. So it's pretty far. Shh, Namibia is a gigantic yeah, yeah, yeah. country. People don't understand yeah. how big it is. I think I'm going to be the same once I get there. <laughs> Dude, that drive to Vintuk's a biggie. Yeah, but we'll have to take it like over a few days. So it's not going to be like one really long drive. It'll be like maybe drive three, four hundred k's a day. Stop at a place, sleep over, that sort of vibe. I think that's like 1,900 k's over the border. Yeah, it's close. I think it's probably, yeah, I think I was checking about 15, 16. <laughs> but obviously, we won't be driving in a completely straight line either. We're going to be driving off to little towns where we're staying over. So, if you yeah, can find the wild horses, that would also be good. Have you heard about that? Yes, but that's in the desert, right? Uh, Luderitz. Yes. I think it's Luderitz. We're initially going to go to Luderitz, but then it, my wife just sort of looked a little bit dry. No, go there. Is it good? Go there. Okay. Because no, that'll actually shorten the trip, and the original idea was to get up like halfway to Vintuk, go across the Luderitz. All the um, the cruise ships go there. So that's what initially thought, well, it must be pretty nice. But then you start looking at photos, and it's like, oh, it's in the desert. It is in the desert, but there is a deserted uh, mining ghost town. Yes, I've heard about that. And that's where the horses hang. Okay. They're like in that general vicinity. Yeah. But you've got to go and see that ghost town. I've okay. seen pictures of it on the internet. I really would love to fucking see that yes. in the flesh. That's it's how I want to go do something like that. It sounds a bit cooler than going to like Vintuk. <laughs> Not that I know Vintuk at all, but yeah. Well, it depends what you want. Yeah. I love And the nice thing is that we don't like have that. anything like really set in stone. So yeah. we can like twer a bit. Even though we only got like 10 days, but we can do it. So I'm thinking, yeah, maybe we can do it. And you're doing this in five days' time? I do this on Monday. Yeah. Oh, shit, Monday. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I leave in two days. <laughs> Fucking sick, dude. So we're in Cape Town total five days, this first little trip. We're shooting up for Namibia, coming back down for up the creek if I get that job. If I don't, then we might try and extend the um, Namibia. Namibia trip for another like five, six days. And then the baby's due on the 30th of Jan. So we'll be back here for that. Just for listeners, not your baby. Not my baby. <laughs> not my circus. No. Yeah, so that's that's our, our plan for the next month, basically. Um, then after the baby's born, we're going to be touring in South Africa a bit too. So we're going up. We've got booked accommodation in Sedgefield. My grandparents have a farm in Eastern Cape. We're going to oh, be going up sick. there. Yeah, and we'll spend maybe two weeks there and then come back down to Plet for another week and then back home. And then I've been chatting to Nick and um, just trying to see if there's any fights around here. If I can land something, I'd like to land something in March. I only have two weddings in March. That's another reason why we sort of, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, if Nick can, like, land me a fight or if there's anything happening, then I'm, like, going to be taking a fight if I can, then going back to Thailand. But if I don't get any fights, like, anything promising 
presenting herself, I'll just probably shoot back to Thailand in March again. Where I'm going to be setting up shop with like um, a sponsorship at a gym. They'll be paying for my meals. They'll be paying, well, not paying. You know, they provide your meals. They provide your Signed accommodation. Signed first, first endorsement deal, hey? Yeah, pretty much. And then half your purse goes to the gym. But the idea is that we want to try and get as big fights as possible. The bigger the fights, the better payout for them, the better payout for me. Half and your purse goes to the gym. Yeah. That's how you sort of pay your Pay your coach. And is that how you pay <coughs> your coach? Um, yeah. So it goes, you, you basically just pay the gym and the gym pays the coach, you know. Yeah. So that's what we're looking at now for this next trip. I really like organized with one of the gyms I was training at. So I'm not going back to the same gym. But with one of the gyms, I've organized like a little sponsorship deal like that. And then you looking <coughs> to get bigger fights, obviously, this time around. Are you a bit more established in the market? Do people know who you are? I'm a little bit more established, but I'm also going to a gym that's a little bit more established now. I feel like the gym I was at had some connections, but I don't feel like they themselves were like a big name brand to push out. But the gym I'm going to now, they've currently... Over this time, like while I'm chatting with the guy. They have guys in Max Muay Thai. They have guys in Max. They've got guys fighting in Lumpini. They've got some guys doing K1 fights in um, in Bangkok, stuff like that. So they've, they've, they've got guys. They've got a fight team. But the guy was saying he is looking to sort of add a few more guys. So when I go back, I'll be one of those, you know, taking up one of the slots. And then he's also said if there are other guys that I can scout, I must try and bring them up with me. So, yeah, I've got an idea to try and get some younger guys out here also a little opportunity to go do that yeah. well you know the ropes and now you can tell them exactly but also just having the actual connection where someone says find me someone and i'll go do that so that's yeah i've got a few guys in mind that i want to bring back with me if possible <laughs> bring back with you <laughs> yeah you know what i mean like make my own little team within a team you know a few south african guys that you it's kind of difficult when you're training and you don't really have someone to train with, even though there's other guys that are fighting and stuff like that, you know, you're there almost on your own. But if you have guys to run with and stuff like that, it's pretty cool. I suppose it's also all on your own because a guy your size can't really spar many people. Yeah. And when I do, it's like a bit different to like if I was sparring back home, sparring with someone my size, sparring with someone who's a sharp, you know, I sort of, I'm more playful when I spar. And that sort of makes me less sharp when it comes to fight time. So for me, it's mostly about getting, wrapping my head around how to mix this style of training and prepping for a fight with my own mental capacity to be sharp. And I think I'm sort of getting the hang of it, you know. But, I mean, it's still it's a challenge every time you step in there. <laughs> What's your Muay Thai record standing at the moment? Now? Four and one. I had my first loss now in end of December. What happened there? Jeez, um, there was so much stuff. You know, like uh, I put up a thing saying that I don't want to make excuses for what happened. Like, I know what a lot of the reasons were why I lost the fight. Um, and if I watch the video, it's like, I'm actually, I'm proud of the way that I fought then. I was, like, very happy with it. Partly I gassed. Partly I had a bit of mental block. I was carrying a lot of injuries. I'd been really sick the week before, like, flat on my back, couldn't even get out of bed kind of thing. Fever to the point where I was, like, I was having thoughts that, like, damn, I'm going to die. Yeah, on the couch. <laughs> like that's how hectic that fever so was so you're actually know? physically sick yeah yeah completely flat on my back couldn't even get out of bed kind of thing that was like about a week before I trained for about four days but I, that's what I'm saying like this is also to me it's like it sounds like excuses I felt ready for the fight when I got in there dude that can happen in Thailand it sounds like <laughs> the kind of country that shit does yeah, happen yeah yeah for sure and also I had fought I don't like, think anyone's ever gonna doubt that as a story <laughs> yeah I don't know for sure like I fought the Thursday 
Thailand or India? That is expected. I think the Monday or Tuesday I was sick like that. And I thought I'd actually contracted dengue fever because there'd been like a lot of it at the Ooh, time. Oh, shit, there's always that going yeah. on there. Dude. So like I thought I had maybe like a mild form of it because of the way that I had the fever and when we went to the doctor and stuff, they said there's no way to treat this. Were you, you vomiting, double ending? No, I started, that's what I'm saying. Like I feel like I had the, I had the heavy fever and then I had all of that, but like sort of tapering out and eventually I came out of it about four days of just feeling completely weak, shattered in a way. Um, but when I got to the fight, I felt good. You know, it was like a week later now. So I fought the Thursday. The Were you still cutting weight while you had, oh, I suppose, cutting weight with dengue fever is actually quite an easy thing. I, I, I came in at 84 for this fight. My <gasps> opponent this time was 93. And it was a Czech guy. So like a What foreigner. was the weight limit? 85. 85. Supposed to be 85. So again, on the day, me uh, eating very light. I, when I was at the stadium, I was waiting for the weigh-in. So I was like drinking little bits of water, eating a few peanuts, like half a banana, because I didn't want to push myself over that weight limit, just in case. And they never weighed us in the end, anyway. I knew weighed at the end, and I knew how much I weighed after that. <laughs> after the fight. Sorry, they weighed you after the fight? They didn't weigh us. No, it, was, it wasn't all. an official weighing. Yeah, it was just me getting on the scale to check. Holy shit. <laughs> crazy, yeah. Like, that's the sort of, like, crazy things you deal with there. There's paramedics ringside, right? Yeah, the paramedics are actually really good. So, like, they, they have that sort of stuff sorted out quite well. It's just they deal with things in a more, I wouldn't say lazy way, but it's just like that's not important. Hmm. It doesn't matter who you're fighting, how big you are or whatever, you just go in and do your job. That's what their thing is. But they do have the medical side coverage. Take your ass kicking like a man. Yeah, that's, that's the lifestyle. That's their mentality. Um, the fight went really well. I moved really well. Jeez, I, was like, I felt like I was on fire. I was smiling in the ring. Like I'm, I was toying with this guy. He's a little bit bigger than me, but probably the same height, which is also weird. You've learned the act. Yeah. Well, I mean, I was just really, I was really having fun. I came out of this this really tough week, you know. I had sparred with my one of my coaches, and he gave me a black eye and cut my nose. Like three days before the fight, I was like livid that I was sparring. No headgear, sparring. No headgear. Yeah. Uh, just boxing with him, but he's like this silver medalist, Olympic boxer, big guy in his ninety kgs whacked me like hard because we were showing someone or showing the class a little bit of like light sparring. So he's like, you only go 50%, 50%. So I'm, one motherfucker cracks you. I'm going nice and light and he whacks me. I was just like, damn, like he basically dropped me because he hit me in the eye. So I had going into the fight, I had a black eye, cut open nose. I hadn't kicked on my right leg the whole camp because I was carrying an injury from the fight oh, before. Because it wasn't even two weeks. So like I had a lot of things going through me and I'd been sick. So what happened was I felt really good though. Like, I felt good about the fight. You know? <laughs> Despite all that, I actually yeah. felt quite good. It's weird because people think, like, Nick would say stuff to me, like, why did you do it then if you weren't in good shape? And I was like, I didn't think I was out of shape. I felt fine. I felt physically good. I felt mentally good because I had come off this fight where I fought a way bigger guy. Fighting a guy who was now about 9, 10 k's bigger didn't seem so bad. <clears throat> Even though he was a foreigner, which made it a little bit more uh, challenging. So I thought he might be a little bit better at certain things. And what was the reality? The reality was I was still I was a lot better than him, which was like it kind of blurs my brain. I was smiling, I was toying with him, you know, like I was really happy in the ring, which often doesn't happen. You know, sometimes you feel that frustration and you just want to get it out. But like there, I was like I was having fun while I was fighting. Um, first two rounds whacked him nice and good. I think I 
showed him like he was there's a lot of times there's some surprise on his face whacked him a few big shots kicks were like really crisp and sharp was he taking them quite well catching your kicks no he was taking more like a bit of a punching bag he was getting yeah. like properly beaten yeah i have the video we can watch it just now too um in the third round you know i dropped him early on in the third round we went down took a knee uh, I started, like, when I watched the video, I could see in my face. I was looking really sunken. There was a lot of things going through my head. I was just getting really tired. And <laughs> it's funny when you watch it because I, I basically gave in. I reached, like, a mental threshold where I made that decision just to go down. So about two minutes into the third round, we've been having, like, a bit of rally back and forth. But I was definitely the aggressor, pushing, pushing, pushing. Um... He gave me a spinning back elbow, which was more of like a glancing elbow because I was moving with it when, it when it hit, so he came around. You rode it? Yeah, I rode it in, came down, took a very light knee and got into a clinch with my one arm over the rope. Um, I was looking down, the crowd was going like nuts because the, the guys were like loving this fight. You know, every, every kick you gave was like, wow, wow. One of those backwards and forwards fights. The fantastic Farang. <laughs> yeah, both of them. We'll be both tourists. Ah, foreigners there now. Oh, where was the other guy from? Czech Republic. Oh, shit. Yeah. So he's a big dude you'll see on the video. Uh, about a minute left to go in the third round. I'd be taking this little flurry. I've got my arm over the rope, and I, I can, when I watch the video, I can see myself looking down at the floor. And in my head, I just went, just go down. Like, it's too much. Like, I felt way too gassed. I felt like I was just... Throwing, 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 my muscles couldn't take it anymore. I took two little shots and my head in my head I was like, you know, like that was big enough for you to go down. It's a, it's a tough thing to look back on, but like I knew straight away what was going on. But it was such quick decisions, you know, the decision in your brain yeah. is like give up. It's the same thing that can happen to you when in when you're training, if you don't learn to break through that. And it's happened to me like once before, so it was strange for it to be happening again. But I think with all that stuff that had happened leading up to it, I just took that. And I was like, cool, go down. But what people must also understand is that option out that you take is such, at such a high level of operation of athletic ability. Yeah. That is when your body is in you, red alert down, all yeah. over. Mm. And it's not like quitting because I had a hard gym session and yeah. I vomited in the toilets because I had to run off and do it. You've already pushed past that part where this you should have actually quit. <laughs> this is what real breaking point is. Yeah. That's what the real breaking point is in, in life. Yeah. And the thing is, like, I went down, but as soon as I had to, like, as soon as I went down, I actually went down in a stupid way. I should have done what he did and taken a knee. Just gone down and have, like, a little reset. Because that's kind of what I was doing in my brain. Like, I told myself, I'm going to go down and then I'm going to lose this fight, but okay. But as I was going down, I sort of remember going, taking a deep breath and thinking, you can just get up again, you know, but now you're sort of on the back foot for the scoring, but whatever. But I went down and I laid back down. So, like, me being on my back, the ref counting, when I tried to get up, it was a bit like, you know when you roll and you maybe don't get that first roll right and you roll again the second time? So I rolled up the first time. Your body was fucked. When I went down, yeah, I was wrecked. When I went down, he put his hand on me like as I came up the second time. And he was like, no, like you're done. Oh, the ref did that? Yeah, the ref hugged me, <laughs> like not to get up. Save you from yourself, Basically, son. Basically, yeah. He was like, if you can't get up there, don't try and get up. Because... And a lot of people, like, when I watch the video, people are like, what the fuck? What happened? Like, you can hear them, like, screaming in the background. It just looks like I just was lying there and went, <laughs> no, no one knew why I had gone down. But to the ref, he probably thought, I must have taken a big shot. And he's probably seen that a lot, too. Like, guys, take a shot, and it takes them a couple of seconds to register, and then they go down. So, yeah, it was quite a tough 
way to end the whole thing. Oh, is this your last fight? This is the last one now. Yeah, this is on the 23rd of December. So it was like three weeks ago. Yeah, tough way to tough way to end the year. But it was at the same time I look back on it and I feel really good about that and the progress that that's going to make for me. Now you'll know how to break through that wall. That's yeah, like I've, that's just, I've, I've had that you experience before. I've had that experience before when I had the same thing happen to me. But it was so long ago. It was like I haven't lost a fight in about four years. Yeah. You know, that it was so long ago that I'd almost forgotten about it. Even though I knew it was there all the time, always in the back of your head, you know. So, yeah, it's quite an interesting experience for me now to take that and to learn from it. Yeah, that's the next phase. Well, brother man, thank you for coming. <laughs> this has been the most fascinating fucking story to hear. So awesome. now anyone who decides to listen to this knows that they don't need an invitation to go to fucking Thailand. That's important, yeah. Go work a bar job for a while. If they need sort to, Sort your yeah. cash out and just go. Yeah. And you can go to any gym you want as long as you got the money to pay for yeah, it. Yeah, walk in and any gym, is, any gym will be able to find your fight too. You don't need to go to the best gym. You don't need to go to anything. You go to a gym that suits you. Find the guy. Find the coaches you like. The reason why, one of the main reasons why I stuck with this last gym, even though they weren't maybe as established as some of the others, was because I liked the trainers and they had that, that big guy I was talking about, 90-odd kg, you know, boxing, professional boxer. Like, that to me was like, wow, I'm not going to find that at any other gym. So find a gym that suits you, walk in and just make the most of that, however long you're there for. And you can do it in two weeks. Guys think, I need more time, I need to be fit. You'll get fit. In two weeks, you can rock up there unfit, as long as you maybe have a little bit behind you you know if you're leaving from here training three times a week that'll be enough to get you through it's going to be tough ideally you want to be as fit as possible because the heat kills you the training is hard and it's long so guys like don't be naive about that stuff like they need to go there knowing it's going to be tough it's like everything you do here except <coughs> it's an oven yeah exactly you're and doing it, it in an oven the intensity is just so much more as well like i went over there thinking it was going to be like a holiday for me I went over there thinking training's going to be easy. I train really hard and I'm really good and I'm fit going in. But it was nothing like what I expected, you know. Oh, so the level <laughs> of training in Thailand is a massive step up from what you've experienced? In terms of like when we, yeah, if we train twice a day. Sometimes, but that's also because that's it's in an oven. Yeah, exactly. So like the, the level you're going to have to push yourself to, that's I mean, that sort of intensity. Not necessarily that the training is really hard, but it is also really long. Like back here we do an hour class. That's kind of enough. If you're doing like special classes where you're doing one after the other, you'll max have two hours. But there it's like, go for a run, come back after your five or 10K, whatever you've done. That to most people is already a workout. You know, they're done. <laughs> They'll go for a run in the morning. If they do 10Ks, they're done. Do your 10Ks, then come train in that oven, in a place you don't know, with coaches you don't know, with other guys all trying to prove themselves as well. <laughs> it's tough, but it's really good. It's such a good growth point. I feel. And would you say that um, earnings or fights, is it enough to kind of maintain a living there? Um, of you, sorts? You're going to start off really low. Like, I'm trying to think of like a conversion, but looking at about 1,500 rand value. Um, per fight? Yeah. So you're looking at maybe three, 4,000 baht. Three rounders? Four rounders? Five rounders. Five rounders? Yeah. For 1,500 rand? Yeah. Okay. I mean, that, I mean, their standard is five rounds. To fight, even if you're a kid. What's the gym's cut of that 1,500 rand that you get? It's normally about 20%. Okay. You know, so like you're normally paying your coach 500 or 1,000 baht from whatever you're getting. Uh, that's just for the cornering, I mean. Um, but the progression can be quite quick. 
So like you start off on three, by your second or third fight you should be getting about five k, uh, their money, and there are guys that progress to the twenty thousand, thirty thousand, forty thousand mark. One of the guys I was training in my gym for for two hundred thousand baht. How much is that in rand terms? About eighty, about eighty thousand. So like there's a lot of money out there, you know. It's like there's a lot of money floating around, but at the same time it's also like. The guys that are fighting on these like small cards, they it's almost like they're just there for two weeks. They're just there for three weeks, then they come and get a fight. There's no progression. So they're only staying at that base level of earning three K. But if you go up to bigger promotions, within probably three or four months you should be earning close to let's say five to eight thousand Rand per fight. And that you can live on if they're paying for your gym fees, they're paying maybe your two meals a day and your accommodation. Which you've already got sewn up and little Which I've got now, yeah, 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 which nice. is cool. So like going back to now, it's not really about making a lot of money and I'm at the end of my It's just about covering run. small costs, man. It's about being able to do that. Yeah. You know, like being able to afford to go back there, train, live there, and For just sure. have that as your life. Orbit, For you know? sure. Yeah. That's my version of a sabbatical. I'm on holiday, but I'm not really on holiday, you know. <laughs> I'm working harder when I'm on holiday than when I'm actually yeah, at home. Well, I wish you all the best on your trip to Namibia. That's going to be fucking yeah, sick. Enjoy cool. the shit out of that. Thank you. And then uh, I'm sure we must hook up before you go back to Thailand yeah, sure. again. Definitely. Maybe I'll come up If not there. up the creek, then we'll do something else. Yeah, <laughs> up the creek, dude. I'm be all Are over that place. again? Yeah, I've got main stage on Thursday night. And then I'm doing river stage uh, Friday and Saturday. Whoa. Ten till threes. Wow, that's going to be cool. I've never done river stage. Yeah. I'm excited for it. That's interesting. Yeah. Um, I so think it's, it's a completely different vibe out there, though. Totally, you don't have to back. build the energy as much there, which is kind of cool. I'm going to say minimal shit, man. Yeah, yeah. I'm just going to drink. This is about keeping it like keeping that level. Yeah, I just need to go to a China start shop, buy a couple of items that I'm going to wear. Hawaiian shirts. Oh, I got those, <laughs> dude. I got. I know Hawaiian. That, that cold, is that is friend. your signature for me, bro. I, like seeing no you with ever. that captain's hat and the Hawaiian shirt the first time was such really? a laugh. No one's <laughs> ever had a bad day with a Hawaiian shirt That's on. True. And this was a war in Hawaii. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Pearl Harbor. Yeah, any of those guys. <laughs> All right, dude. Cool. Thanks for hanging out. Cheers. All right, goodbye, everybody. Cheers.